Open up your copies of God's Word to the book of James. We are moving into chapter 3 this morning. I hope you've been blessed as you've meditated on this book. I think it's challenging in, in many ways, but it's certainly a blessing. As we wrapped up chapter 2, uh, James was talking about faith, and he was talking about works, and he was saying um, that living faith, uh, faith that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, genuine faith, is always seen with works. It's just a, a natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit within you. And as he moves into the third chapter of the book of James, he starts to turn, keep that in your mind, the fruit of the Spirit and so forth, but he, he focuses in today on the tongue, at the things we say, the way in which we speak So what we're going to do is we're going to read James chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. This is God's holy word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And here we will end the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, many of us have had the experience of reading your word and then just walking away with nothing. I'm hardly even remembering where it was that we were reading, let alone any of the content we read. 
Lord, we don't want to make that mistake today. We want to recognize that this word is your word. And Lord, we want to pay attention to it as such. And Lord, you know that we are a diverse body that sit before you, different ages, different places in life. Lord, each of us need to hear from you. We would ask that you would take this, your word, and that you would do that miracle that you do. That I would preach and that you would take that and that you would apply it to each of us. Lord, would you search our minds and hearts? Would you bring up things from our lives? Would you help us to understand how we can live out your word? Lord, would you empower us? Would you encourage us? Would you rebuke us? Would you give us those things we need to hear? We would ask that you would help us to recall your word, that we would be like Bereans. And Lord, we'd ask that you would be glorified as we meditate on your word and think on the gospel and the Lord Jesus. We'd ask this in his name. Amen. I wonder if you guys know anything about the Japanese versus German knife controversy. This is a debate over uh, who makes the better set of cooking knives. Um, Japanese knives are sharp as razors. They are super sharp. And German knives, on the other hand, are a bit thicker. And the thought is that that helps the knife and helps the chef as as they cut and as, as they chop. Well, I'm not going to settle the debate, but I can tell you that I bought my wife a set of Japanese knives, shun knives, and they are super, super sharp like razors. And you know how after church sometimes you'll ask people to come over to have lunch with you and then they come over and usually someone will ask if they can help. Well, we had someone ask if they could help and we said, you can uh, cut this. Can't remember what it was exactly. But we said, listen, uh, these knives are sharp. They are extremely sharp. So uh, be very, very careful when you're cutting, uh, when you're cutting this, this, these things. And I'm telling you, within 30 seconds, oh, and they're rinsing their hand under the water. They, I couldn't believe it. They cut themselves just after we had given them the warning. You've got to be careful. Well, James says something similar about the tongue. He says it's sharp. It's powerful. It can do great things, but it can destroy. You need to take great care in communicating. Beware of the power of the tongue. You can see that this passage is, is about the tongue, can't you? It's, it's pretty clear. This passage is about speech. It's about the things that you say. And you can see that all through the passage, but especially in verses 5, 6, and 8, where he just references the tongue directly. So what does this passage tell us about the tongue? What does it say about speech? That's the question we're going to ask 
And the first thing we learn is that speech can be powerful. It could be extremely powerful. And we'll see that as we consider our first heading, mind the directing power of your tongue. Mind the directing power of your tongue. James begins by saying that we're responsible for the things we say. We'll be held accountable for the things we say. And he reminds his readers that while speech might seem relatively inconsequential, it is actually quite powerful. He begins in verse 1 writing, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He says, not many of you should become teachers in the church. The percentage of people shouldn't be high. And and it's not because James had too many well-qualified, spirit-filled teachers and preachers on his hands. No. The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. James wants to discourage people from seeking the role of, of teaching and preaching if they haven't been called to it. He doesn't want them to take up the responsibility for the wrong reasons. You see, words are powerful. They direct people. And therefore, teachers will be held accountable for the things that they say, especially when they come teaching in the name of the Lord. In verse 1, James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James wants you to understand the impact that your words have. They have consequences. He engages our attention by talking about teaching, and then he begins to address all of us He broadens the scope of this passage from focusing on teachers to considering everyone. In verse 2, he writes, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. The verb stumble means either to literally trip or metaphorically to make a mistake. That's the nice way of saying it. James is talking about committing sin. He says, when it comes to our speech, we all sin in many ways. If someone could keep from sinning in their speech, they'd surely be able to to master the rest of their body as well. In verse 3, James gives us a couple illustrations about the power of speech He points to two things that might seem small and insignificant, but which actually have great power. He writes, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. James says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
Do you see his point? Horses are large, powerful animals, and yet a small bit enables a person to control them, to direct them. And then when you think of ships, they're massive. In James' day, they were powered by the wind. As wind filled their huge sails, it would push these wooden ships along and drive them through the sea. And it's a small rudder that enables the pilot to steer them, to direct their course. James wants you to understand that even though the tongue is small, it has the power to accomplish great things. Speech might seem relatively inconsequential, but it's quite powerful. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nothing is more consequential than eternal life and death. It's with words that we make profession and are baptized and become communicant members in the church. With words, we become engaged to be married. With words, we make commitments to take on new employment. The tongue is powerful. It directs our course of life. And sometimes our words can have a powerful effect on others. That's one of the reasons for the warning that is attached to teaching. The words of a teacher can make such an impression on students that it can change their whole course of life. Maybe you've had a teacher like this. Of course, each one of us have been shaped by the words of our parents. And we, in turn, shape the lives and character of our children through words. The things we say have consequences. You can think of names of men and women who have made speeches that have changed the entire course of human history. You can't forget those famous lines from some of those speeches. Words are powerful. And if you're a Christian, your words, your tongue, they belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Christian, honor God with your tongue. James wants you to understand the power of the tongue. He wants you to understand the tongue has power to direct and it has power to destroy. That's what we see as Our passage continues in the next section. You see that you should mind the destructive power of the tongue. That's our second heading. Mind the destructive power of your tongue. Verse 
Well, you guys know that I was born in California, and there are wildfires in California nearly every summer. If you get real close, I probably smell like smoke (laughs) or smog, one or the other. The Cedar Fire was one of the largest wildfires in California history. 273,246 acres were burned. 2,820 structures were destroyed. And 15 people lost their lives in that fire. The fire started about 25 miles east of San Diego in the Cleveland National Forest when a hunter became lost and lit a small fire to signal for help. The, small, the fire was small, but it quickly spread out of control. James says that the tongue is like a fire. If it's not handled with care, or if it's misused or mishandled, it can set a whole forest ablaze. In the last half of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Sometimes the church or our families, or our place of employment can be like a hillside covered with dry brush or wood. Our lives can become like a tinderbox just waiting to explode at the slightest spark. We need to use discernment. You need to use discernment. You need to be careful with your words. In chapter 1, James said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Those who misuse their tongues are guilty of spiritual arson. For instance, you're guilty of spiritual arson if you engage in gossip or if you're quarrelsome. Proverbs 26 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. A gossip or a quarrelsome person is like someone who keeps adding wood to the fire. They keep adding fuel to it. In verse 6, James says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You see, the tongue is like a fire, and left uncontrolled, it can be destructive. When you think about the nature of mankind, the tongue is unique. One of the reasons it's unique is because it acts, that is, the tongue acts like a window to the heart. 
you'll remember that Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouths give our sinful hearts away. They expose us as sinners. Broken, stained with sin and shame. And if we don't come to Christ and ask him to change us, to take control of our lives, to take control of our mouths, we will continue to set fires. As James continues, it becomes clear why we must be dependent on Christ for change. Draw your attention to verse 7. James writes, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We can't completely tame our tongues because we can't tame our hearts. We need Jesus to do that. And he can do it. He can do it. He can transform us. He can transform you. Call upon him for help. Don't try to do it on your own. After all, the word of God tells us that we are responsible for controlling our tongues. When James spoke about the tongue in chapter 1, verse 26, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James says that if anyone thinks that he has genuine faith and his tongue is habitually unbridled, he's self-deceived about his faith. And Colossians chapter 3 says, put to death what is earthly in you, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. We've been successful at taming animals and training them to help us. Pigeons used to deliver all our mail. Horses were our primary mode of transportation. We still use dogs to do a whole variety of things. And we've learned to control fire as well. Many of us have gas stoves and and water heaters and furnaces. In the same way, we must strive to control our tongues. This text demonstrates the power of speech. You need to recognize that it can be a force for good or a force for evil. And to understand that carelessness can result, it can result in a destructive spiritual fire. Verse 8 makes it clear 
that you need to be dependent upon God as you seek to tame your tongue. And as James continues, you see that taming the tongue will require diligence. You learn that you should mind the inconsistent nature of your tongue. That is our third heading. Mind the inconsistent nature of your tongue. One thing about my sermons, if you miss everything else, maybe you'll know enough just by the headings. (laughs) Well, as James thinks about the issues the church is facing, he's noticing how many people arise from issues or how many problems are arising from issues of the tongue. And he noticed an inconsistency in some people that pointed to a larger spiritual problem. Some people tended to act a certain way in front of one group of people, but in a totally different way with another group. They were inconsistent. These people would come to church and and they'd say all of the right things. They knew all of our lingo. Uh, They knew just what to say. Uh, They were very nice. They smiled. They were friendly. But then later, reports started coming in about the way they were acting at home or at work or when people would see them in public, and something was off. It's, It's like they were two different people. And the thing that gave them away was their tongue. In verse 9, James says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You see, there ought to be a consistency about the life of a Christian. The way we conduct our lives ought to be consistent with what we say and what we believe. The way we act and speak at church ought to be consistent with the way we conduct ourselves at home or in school or in work or in the public sphere. There's a certain deceitfulness about speaking with forked tongues. And James is insisting that what comes out of people's mouths illustrates what's going on in their hearts. Perhaps perhaps this double speak reveals a heart that is unconverted or a heart that is vacillating in its allegiance. Christians are called to treat people with dignity and honor because all men, all men are made in the image of God. Christians shouldn't be out there cursing their neighbors. That's a direct violation of the sixth commandment, of course. No, Christians are called to love their neighbors. In Romans 13, Paul writes, love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, this commandment was new because of the measure of love that Jesus called us to show to others. Jesus said to love others just as I have loved you. And Jesus loved with self-sacrificial love. It's a love that counts others as more important than yourself. And Jesus even loved his enemies. He knelt down and washed Judas' feet, knowing that he would soon be betrayed by him. If we're to love one another like Jesus loved us, we must reach out in love and forgiveness to those who have wronged us. You see, this is extraordinary love. It's supernatural love. If if we could love like this on our own, love wouldn't be a fruit of the Spirit. No, this is Spirit-empowered love. Have you ever taken a COVID test? I'm guessing that you have by now. You know how it goes. You swab and you wait. And then afterwards, you check to see if you've got one line or two. You pray for one line and you hope you don't see two. If you see two lines, that means that you've got it. You've got COVID. Well, well, Jesus left us with a test. It's a test to determine whether a person has the Holy Spirit living within them. We, we might call it the fruit test. It's a test done by observation. Jesus says that a person is like a tree which produces fruit. What a person says and does is the fruit that they produce. Jesus says that you'll be able to determine the genuineness of a person's profession of faith by observing the fruit that they bear. Are they bearing the fruit of the Spirit that is listed in Galatians chapter 5? And James concludes this passage by saying something similar in verse 11. He writes, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These are rhetorical questions. The answers are supposed to be obvious. No, ponds don't randomly change the type of water they have in them, and fig trees don't produce olives. Grapevines don't produce figs. Similarly, unconverted people don't bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
Things like love and joy and patience and self-control. James is looking for consistent behavior, not perfection. In verse 2, he acknowledges that we all stumble in many ways. James says that we need to be careful about being consistent in our speech, and he's reminding us that our mouths should bear fruit consistent with our profession. Believers are called to increasingly mature in the way that they speak. If you're like me, you might be confronted with all of this and ask, what should I do? You might think, this mouth of mine, Lord, I'm so broken. Sometimes you know I lash out. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. I wish I could reel things back in sometimes or take them back or make people forget. I wish I had more control. I wish I, wish I didn't say some of the things I say. Well, the first thing, if this is you, the first thing you should do is come before the Lord in prayer and lay your guilt before him and ask him to forgive you. Don't hide anything. Don't hide a thing. Lay it all bare before him like like Hezekiah with that letter. Just lay it all out. Cast yourself upon the cross and recognize that your brokenness is exactly why Jesus came. It's exactly why he came. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word incarnate. And he spoke perfectly. His tongue brought the good news of the gospel. He said that if you turn from your sin and believe in him, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Place yourself in the Lord's hands and ask him to help you with your tongue. Ask him to help you to not criticize and to not give or receive gossip, not to belittle or demean or falsely flatter, not to lie or boast. James wants you to recognize the power of speech and he wants you to use caution and self-control. You see, the tongue is small, but it is actually quite powerful. You need to take great care in communicating. In this passage, you learn that you need to mind the directing and destructive power of your tongues. And you need to mind the inconsistent nature of your tongue as well. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I remember being young 
And my mom opening the closet and catching me eating cookies. And I had powder all over my face because they were those powdered cookies. I was just caught red-handed, Lord. I know you remember. And Lord, as we sit under your word, as your word has opened to us today, it has been like that closet door opening. Lord, we feel exposed before you. You know our guilt. We would ask, Lord, that you would help us. Number one, we would ask that you would help us to have hearts of confession, that we would come before you laying it bare. And Lord, we would ask that you would help us to cling to the cross and know that our salvation is entirely up to and completed by the finished work of Christ in his life and in his death. Lord, help us to trust you and to have all confidence in Jesus. And Lord, we would also ask that you would empower us. Your word has told us that we are not going to be completely successful in taming these tongues of ours until Jesus comes again and you make our sanctification complete. But Lord, we recognize that we have a duty to mature and a duty to speak as unto you. Lord, these tongues of ours are your tongues. We pray that you would help us to manage them well. Shape and mold our consciences, Lord. Prick our consciences when we fail and give us the transforming power we need to change. Lord, that we might glorify you. We'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.